Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Goslin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. In this episode, we're celebrating a very special centenary that I'm sure you're going to be hearing a lot more about as we head into 2020. It was 100 years ago, in summer 1919, that a young Japanese student called Masataka Taketsuru enrolled at the University of Glasgow to study organic chemistry. But his wider mission was to learn everything he possibly could about the art of making whisky. He did that thanks in no small part to a short apprenticeship at Longbourn Distillery in Speyside, followed by a more extensive six-month period at Hazelburn Distillery in Campbelltown. But Taketsuru didn't just return to Japan with knowledge about how to make whisky. He'd also fallen in love and then married a Scottish girl called Jessie Cowan, better known as Rita. The University of Glasgow's Adam Smith Business School recently organised an event to mark the anniversary of Taketsuru's enrolment, the time he spent in Scotland, and also Rita's crucial role in encouraging him and supporting his dream to establish his own distillery back in Japan. Whiskey Talk caught up at the event with Alan Wollstoneholm, chairman of the Scottish Distillers Association, whose grandfather, Dr Peter Innes, was distillery manager at Hazelburn in 1920, a key period in the Takitsuru story. I wasn't aware of this story um, as, a, as a child, but I was aware that my grandfather had been a distillery manager. I, I've been aware of the centenary kind of coming up over the last two or three years, but it was really only uh, in the last year or so that I began to co- become aware that there were other people who were also uh, interested in the upcoming centenary, uh, including um, uh, James Hopkins and Kirk and Tillich and Ruth Hurd down at Imperial and various other people, and particularly, obviously, um, uh, Neil McKenzie here at the University of Glasgow. And and we, we kind of formed an informal network and uh, and, and started bouncing uh, sort of ideas and events off each other. And, and that's been very rewarding for everybody. And you've been out to Japan as well and explored uh, the, the, the landscape over there and probably seen some of these similarities, I suppose, between Campbelltown, Scotland and, uh, and the distillery in Hokkaido. Yes, um, that's as a result of working with a researcher at Glasgow University, the, the venerable ex-blender of Suntory, Do- Dr. Koichi Inatomi, uh, known to many people simply as Tommy. Uh, he and I have been collaborating on a project, and he initially said, oh, you must come out to Japan and bring your wife, and I thought, oh yes, that'll never happen, but it did. <laughs> he arranged it with Suntory, and uh, we spent a couple of weeks in last October visiting the... Um, Suntory distilleries uh, but also given that they're pretty strong rivals out there it was remarkable that they said well you can't come here without visiting Yuichi and seeing the Nika distillery so they arranged that as well. Dave Broom has written extensively about Japanese whisky and Masataka Taketsuru's life. I asked him about the innovations he brought to his whisky making and about the importance of Rita's role in the story. It's, it's fascinating to, to look at uh, those early days. Uh, in 1928, Shirafuda, which is the first whisky that he made, White Label, came out, and it just didn't work because it was too Scottish. You know, it was too smoky, it was too heavy, and it was kind of back to the drawing board. Uh, and it was the best thing that could have happened uh, because Shinjiro Tori had his idea. He wanted to make a slightly lighter style of whisky. Takitsuru was still 
and I think you still see that with Nika whiskies. They are they are bigger, they're, they're stronger, they're, they're bolder in character. So he wanted to retain some elements of what he loved about Scotch, but he realised that he had to make it Japanese. Yeah. Uh, and he did that through a whole number of different innovations. Uh, and I think just a, a change in mindset, you yeah. know, just an understanding that uh, it's almost like you relax. You know, you say, actually, I could do what I want rather having to slavishly follow a recipe. But there's also like, there's always this interplay between Scotland and Japan, you know, in in their domestic life as well as in the whisky production. Uh, absolutely, you know, I, I, I describe the when you go to see their house at Yuichi, uh one room is a classic Scottish uh, sitting room, you know, big carpets and heavy heavy furniture, and next door is a classic Japanese room with tatami matting and low tables and uh, and everything and. You, you, you look at their lives, uh, you look at the clothes that, that, that they wore, you know, they were jumping between uh, modern Western fashions and traditional Japanese dress, and, and, and their lives was very much uh, the linking, uh, and indeed the love, uh, between two people, and I think a genuine love uh, of Scotland and also of Japan. Uh, you have to remember, it was Rita that said, go back to Japan. Takatsuru wanted to stay in Scotland, and she went, no, go back to Japan, because that's, that's where your dream is. So, yeah, I mean, the, the links remained incredibly, incredibly strong. And how important was Rita's role in the whole story then, do you think? Uh, absolutely vital. Uh, absolutely vital to it. Uh, she, uh, she was a piano teacher and an English teacher. Uh, so when he was working in Osaka, uh, she was uh, teaching, uh, giving piano lessons and English lessons to uh, very rich Japanese people, Japanese businessmen, and those rich Japanese businessmen became the investors, which got Takitsuri's dream off the ground. So, if it wasn't for Rita, financially, it, it simply wouldn't have happened. So, she's incredibly important. Uh, you know, she, she was his rock. She was his partner. Yeah, and then supporting him in a move, as you described, to really a, a, a whole new frontier up in. Hokkaido, which was, you know, it was no man's land in those days. I mean, it was. I mean, it really was. It was frontier stuff. Uh, Tauri Yuichi, founded in 1900, uh, they just started planting the apple orchards, uh, which is one reason he moved there. But, you know, for me, it's, it's a completely illo- illogical place to build a whiskey distillery in 1930. You know, Japan's second whiskey distillery is built in the furthest away place from all, all the major markets but he had to go there I think from a from an emotional point of view uh, because there was something about that place that just spoke to him uh, that, that allowed his vision to, to, to come uh, into focus but you know she had a tough life up there you know living living up there through the war was not at all easy uh, yeah she, she's an extraordinary extraordinary woman and, and now a, a household name in Japan, but unknown, pretty much unknown in Scotland. Aye, exactly. You know, this, this for me, it's just one of the great love stories of the 20th century. Uh, and yet the more that we celebrate it uh, and the more that I, I think it begins to be told about Rita uh, and, and that marriage, uh, I, I think everybody will, will be absolutely blown away by it. Uh, you know, you know, we might need uh, you know, a 15-minute romantic soap opera running for a year on BBC Scotland, you know, there you go. You know, they're needing content. There we are. I'll give you that one for nothing, guys. Dr. Ruth Heard, coordinator of Mandarin and Chinese at Imperial College London, has also been captivated by the story of Masataka and Rita, and is currently working on a book about their experience in Scotland. 
As she told me, she also has a very personal connection with the couple and their time in Campbelltown. My family home during the 60s and 70s turns out to have been the same place that Masataka and Rita had their lodgings when they were in Campbelltown. Um, and actually, I from a young age has, have been fascinated by Japan. And originally I perhaps suspected it was because of my father who'd been in the Merchant Navy during the war and had been all over the world and told me tales of foreign parts. But now I think there might have been something in the fabric of the building that had um, carried on since Masataka's days. I mean, who knows? It's, it's quite a coincidence anyway. But it's, it's, So how did you get into the story of uh, Masataka Takitsuru? How, how, how did that become a, a, something of fascination for you? It's hard now to pinpoint exactly when. I think the first time I, I noticed a newspaper article about the um, fact that NHK were going to dramatise this story. And I think that was probably the first time that I'd heard of, of him and of Rita. Um, and that must have been, I would have thought, about 2012, 2013. And so have you watched the whole series? or <laughs> Is I, that possible? I have watched the whole series and enjoyed it very much. And I... Um, watch it again and again um, and I've given seminars on this subject and uh, pinpointed different stages in the story which I feel would be interesting for Western people to know about. Yeah and I mean we've got no idea I don't suppose about how famous Rita Cowan is in Japan. Yes indeed uh, I came across an article in the newspaper entitled the Rita Takitsuru Fan Club. I think it was an unofficial fan club, but it was the story of a chap who'd been travelling in Hokkaido and had been invited to share some whiskey by some fellow passengers who were Japanese men on their way on a pilgrimage to Yoichi. And they told him all about Rita. And at the end of the article, he says that uh, he's the newest member of that fan club. But, I mean, for someone who's so well-known in Japan, in Scotland, most people wouldn't know who you were talking about. Does that surprise you? Yes, I think it does surprise me. Um, but I, I think Scottish people are probably not aware of the extent to which Japanese people find Scotland fascinating in general. I mean, they have clubs for Scottish country dancing, and, of course, they are devoted to whiskey. Yeah. And, and, and you also spoke about some of the very positive messages that came out of the series. Uh, can you just kind of recap some of those? Um, yes, indeed. Um, especially during the war years. Um, I was fascinated the extent to which they had taken up Old Lang Syne as a symbol of peace. Uh, during the drama, a young man from the distilleries going off to war and they all gather together in um, one of the bones, I suppose, where the barrels are stored. And first of all, they sing uh, this uh, Light of the Fireflies, which is very familiar to all Japanese and is a song of parting. It's used at graduation ceremonies. But they don't really want to be singing that. They don't want the special police to hear of what they're doing because speaking English in, the, in those days was not, not something that would be um, <laughs> would not go down very well with the authorities. But um, they close the doors and they all 
get round the piano and they sing Old Lang Syne and the words to Old Lang Syne are written in Japanese phonetic script so that everybody can sing and that impressed me very much and I thought it was an excellent way to tell the story they also make a lot of the fact that Rita's uh, former fiancé was killed um, fighting in the First World War and they use that to great effect as well yeah but there's a message of internationalism and peace as well Absolutely. in the series. Absolutely. Um, the good characters are the ones who are open-minded. The bad characters are narrow-minded. I suppose that's what melodrama is. <laughs> yeah, but good messages for our times as well. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Ruth. Thank you. The chief blender at Nika Whiskey, Tadashi Sakuma, told me about the similarities in the landscape between Campbelltown and Yuichi on the northern island of Hokkaido, where Masataka and Rita built their distillery. Um, because uh, actually, so he met Dr. Ines, and so discussed about to making how to make a whiskey. And Ma- uh, Masnaka told him about koji, and he learned in the university brewing. And then, so Dr. Ines taught, taught, taught Masataka whiskey making and branding, and that period is quite ha- half, an, half an year or something like that and they just got married with Rita and uh, I think everything is very fresh and, and uh, something like that and uh, so he saw the scenery of Dabar Island it's something uh, he's my, his mind in, in in his mind, and then back to Japan. And first, first is uh, to find uh, Yamazaki, and left Kotobukiya. He look around all of Hokkaido area, many places. But finally, he decided at ah, this scenery is same as. Campbell Town. That's why he decided. So Yoichi, yeah, I think. So. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very interesting to see the similarity yeah. be- between the landscapes, mm. in terms of the product, in terms of the whiskey that mm. uh, uh, Masataka Taketsuru created. How do you see the synergy between Scotch mm. and Japanese whiskey? You know, he, he obviously learnt his profession mm. in Scotland, mm-hmm. but but then it became something different mm. uh, back in Japan. No, I don't think so. He he's my he thought he say so his master is Scotch whiskey. So actually, he so he's his mind to make good sales similar to Scotch whiskey in Japan. Mm. That is his dream. That was his dream. So that's why he uh, chose North part of Japan and uh, and so say using direct coal fire heating and we still using. <laughs> yeah, to this day it's, yeah. it's the same process. Yeah. And also uh, introducing the cafe still, very old uh, rectangular copper cafe still uh, imported in 1963. Yeah, but but with, always with an element of innovation as well. Mm. 
However, so the innovation is uh, when we started to innovate, but actually, so Japanese distillers own a few distilleries, and also we don't uh, have uh, circumstances to e- exchange each against. So that's why we make different types of whiskey from, say, one distillery. That would be different between Japanese whiskey and Scotch whiskey. Yeah. And, and uh, how can you imagine what it was like for Rita mm-hmm. to travel to Japan at that time? Uh, and not just to Japan, yeah, but to the very top yeah, of Japan, yeah, yeah, yeah. to a, a very kind of wild and uh, a desolate island Hokkaido must have yeah, been at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how can you imagine what her life was like? Uh, uh, I, so I cannot imagine but her mind. However, so he, she loved Mastaka and he, she decided to follow him so that's why he actually so Masataka told her I will stay in Scotland however she denied you should back to go Japan to make Japanese whiskey in Japan so then uh, for him to to back to so Japan yeah Yeah. so she was really instrumental yeah. a very important figure yeah. in in persuading him yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to fulfill uh, his yes. dream. So, uh, and so, so she had a, something, a passion to make Japanese whiskey. Finally, I caught up with Dr. Neil McKenzie, senior lecturer at the University of Glasgow's Adam Smith Business School, to find out what prompted him to organise this celebration of Masataka and Rita Takitsuru's lives. Well, as a business historian, I, uh, I started researching into Scotch whisky and looking at the different stories in Scotch whisky, I came across the story of Masataka Takatsuru. And when I delved deeper into Masataka's story, I realised very quickly that we were coming up for the centenary of his enrolment at the university. And so I thought that um, the university should do something to commemorate that. The university uh, does a wonderful job of recognising its heritage, its history, the, the alumni that it has. And I thought, well, if we can do something that sort of recognises Masataka's involvement with the university, but also the kind of longer-term engagement between Scotland and Japan, then I would be doing something which I thought would be quite, uh, quite novel, quite fun, but also something that has a real sort of genuine history to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it must have been quite something for him to come here a hundred years ago. I don't know how good his English was at that point, but, you know, it was... It was very early days in terms of international students coming to Glasgow and uh, and making that making that voyage really. I think he was incredibly brave. I mean, Dave Broom talked about him being an innovator, and I think that's absolutely correct. One of the things that we haven't talked about this evening, which I think is really cool, is that the the venue that we're interested in, the Kelvin Gallery, I'm pretty sure was a university library. So Takasura would have literally walked around these walls, these floors, you know, looking at the books and everything else that he was uh, studying for his chemistry program. And I, don't, I think it was a huge amount of bravery because he gets on a boat and he goes to the US from Japan, then travels across the US and he gets on another very long boat journey to come to Glasgow. He turns up in Glasgow and it's pouring with rain, it's pitch black, uh, it's cold, it's wet, and... He, it doesn't. It doesn't stop him. You know, he just keeps going. Um, 
not only does he learn how to make Scotch whisky, he also gets himself a Scotch wife. So he's done an incredible job, and I think I thought it was right to honour that because it is—it's a genuine story. You know, there's no there's no marketing here. It's a real story. It has it has real history and it has real provenance, um, and all that all that links into today, which is a hundredth anniversary. And I think that's important. Yeah, and it's a story that's obviously well known in Japan. We've heard about the state broadcaster NHK had a hugely successful series about uh, Masataka Takitsuru and, and Rita's life in Japan. But here in Scotland, we really don't know who these people are. Or outside of the whiskey world, people don't know who they are. Yeah, and that's, that's something which I thought we could go somewhere to, to rectifying because, uh, no pun intended, uh, but, but Masataka Takitsuru and Rita Takasuru have a wonderful story which I think should be shared because it's not just a business story, it's not a business history story, it's a love story, it's a story about international relationships, about the, the challenges of, uh, of of love across continents and so on. And they they you know they created a life together which I think is really important. And recognising the the role that the university played in, in facilitating that I thought was quite a good way of getting people together, getting everyone together into a nice big room, celebrating their life, celebrating the connections that we have, and hopefully building more connections in the future. And a good excuse to drink some whiskey. Always. <laughs> thank you very much, Neil. My pleasure, thank you. We look forward to hearing more about Masataka and Rita's life and the Scottish influence on the birth of Japan's whiskey industry throughout 2020. We'll be back soon with more Whiskey Talk. But in the meantime, you can always get in touch with us by email at unfiltered at smws.com. Until next time, kampai and cheers. <laughs> <laughs>